How you doing, ladies and gentlemen? Wrapping up January 2024 already. Hard to believe we've got the first month out of the way. Whoo, got a lot going on. We're going to dive right in. Before we do so, let's go ahead and get the show started. Going on down at the southern border right now. I, it's, I, I'm just, I'm looking at it, and I don't know which angle they're trying to play here. So, in a nutshell, the federal government is supposed to be protecting our borders, right? That's one of their few functions. It's currently not one of the hundreds of thousands of things that, that they have taken upon as their role as the federal government. One, one of the ones that they're supposed to be doing is protecting our borders from invasion. Of course, they're not doing that. So Texas, under the leadership of Governor Greg Abbott, they have taken it upon themselves to effectively say, okay, federal government, you're not protecting the border, so it looks like we're going to have to do it as a state. And Sleepy Joe says, not so fast, not so fast, and has ordered them somehow via the SCOTUS. I think there could be a little bribery going on there, but I'm not going to chime in on that, even though I just did. SCOTUS has said they have to, Texas has to remove the barbed wire fencing that they have installed at the border. Now, the Biden administration and all the crazy uh, minions of that team have said, well, the, the barbed wire fencing is too dangerous. It's dangerous for the border agents, and it's dangerous for the illegals crossing the border. Now, of course, that makes no sense, but we're talking about the Biden administration here. So now, effectively, what we have is a standoff between Biden and his minions. He's threatening to federalize the Texas Border Patrol agents. And Texas has stated that they are going to defy the SCOTUS ruling and they are going to leave the barbed wire fencing up. Not only that, but there are 25 states that have now pledged support to Texas in securing the border. So we have quite the standoff going here. And a lot of people are saying, is this leading to a civil war? Now, that could be the angle that they're playing on this one. I, I I certainly hope not, but they have wanted one of those, a civil war, to pop off for quite some time now. As I stated in a previous podcast, we now have more illegal aliens crossing at the southern border than we have American babies being born. That happened for the first time ever in August of last year, and it continues happening month after month. Now, I've heard some commentators that have stated that Joe Biden is just inept, he's stupid, and he doesn't know what in the hell he's doing. And I say au contraire. He knows exactly what he is doing. This is an invasion of this country by design. This is all being done with intent. They know exactly what they are doing. They know exactly that we have terrorists coming over and invading this country right now. These aren't just people from Mexico. They are coming from Africa. They are coming from the Middle East. They are coming from China. We are actively being invaded in the United States right now. 
And I'm not just concerned about a civil war breaking out. I'm concerned about the terrorists that are going to be that are already plotting and scheming and going to do whatever they're going to do. If we were to shut off the border in its entirety right now, we would still have huge problems with the people that are already in the country right now. And that's if we were to hypothetically seal it off 100 percent today. Obviously, that's not feasible. It's not going to happen. Sleepy Joe is going to keep facilitating as many illegals crossing into the United States as he possibly can. But we've got a real issue. We've got a real issue. We've got a problem. And we need to do something to rectify this. We need to at least stop the bleeding and then figure out what we're going to do at that point. But that is the clown world, ladies and gentlemen. Just telling you like it is. I do apologize. I left the uh, following segment out of last week's episode. I know that you were longing for that, and so I do offer my apologies for the omission. So I will go ahead and kick off the next segment with this week's Gaslighting of the Week. For this week's Gaslighting of the Week, if you are any kind of rationally thinking human being, you know that the economy is in the toilet right now with inflation, with the unemployment. It's hard to just make ends meet these days. When you have a three, and this is, if you get a 3% raise at your job these days, you're doing well. But if you have a 3% raise at your job and the inflation rate is in the realm of six, seven, eight percent and that's probably low-balling it. I know they like to give you the pretty-looking figures. But if you have a 7% rate of inflation, a 3% raise at your job, guess what? You are making less money year over year. Now, the following is a audio montage of the mainstream media pundits saying they don't understand why Biden isn't getting more credit than he is. The economy is great. It's good. We're not at war with Eurasia. We're at war with East Asia. This is the following segment of the mainstream media pundits telling you, Mr. and Mrs. America, just how great the economy is today. The real story about the U.S. economy. Nobel Prize winner Paul Krugman lays out the dollars and cents for why Americans are wrong to feel so down about it. How's the economy doing? Well, there's the difference between how it looks and how it feels. Right. Actually, the economy's doing okay right now. If you actually take a step back, the U.S. economy is strong. The economy, by all objective measures, is doing pretty damn well. The economy has actually been incredibly strong. The Biden economy is great. Yes. How does it look? Uh, honestly, pretty damn fantastic. But will voters give President Biden credit for it? The question for Biden is, will voters give him credit? When we report on how great the economy is doing, what do you do you feel that? Why aren't voters giving President Biden credit? What further proof do you need? There you have it. The economy is good. The economy is strong. It doesn't matter that you don't have anything in your wallet. It doesn't matter. You must have lost it. You must have just lost that money because the economy is great. The media hath proclaimed it. And we wonder why outlets like the LA Times are having to lay off people in droves. You would almost think that people are getting tired of reading that propaganda nonsense. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, this week's Gaslighting of the Week. 
Now, I'm going to shift gears momentarily. I know that I mentioned late last year, after we lost the actor Matthew Perry, who starred as the character Chandler Bing in Friends, which ran from 1994 to 2004. Now, this is back when I watched TV. So I, along with tens of millions of others, would tune in to that show. But I ended up reading his book, which is effectively a memoir, an autobiography, entitled Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. This was uh, a book that was published back in 2022, so it would have been the year prior to his passing. But I read this book over the past a couple of weeks, and it really just struck me. He was struggling with drugs and alcohol for effectively the entire run of Friends, and even before that, and obviously well after that. There was probably about one or two years out of the 10-year run where he was sober, and the rest of the time he was battling with addiction for that entire run. And it really just kind of, I, I was just really able to identify with a lot of the emotional things that he was going through, but his crutch, unfortunately, was it was drugs and it was alcohol. I would highly recommend that you would read this book. Again, it's called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing by Matthew Perry, it really brings you into the world of what that addiction is like. There was something he wrote in there, which I highlighted, and he says the following, quote, This disease, the big horrible thing, addiction has ruined so much of my life, it's not funny. It's ruined relationships. It's ruined the day-to-day process of being me. I have a friend who doesn't have any money, lives in a rent-controlled apartment, never made it as an actor, has diabetes, is constantly worried about money, doesn't work. And I would trade places with him in a second. In fact, I would give up all the money, all the fame, all the stuff to live in a rent-controlled apartment. I'd trade being worried about money all the time to not have this disease, this addiction. And he said, uh, right in the next paragraph, immediately following that, he said, it's going to kill me. It was a fascinating work. It really brought me into the world of Matthew Perry. He was a phenomenal human being. And I highly encourage you to read his book. It's extremely insightful and brings you into the world of what that horrible addiction is like. Now, I said on the last podcast that I was of the opinion that Nikki Haley would drop out of the race if she did not win New Hampshire outright. Now, I have been given another theory on this, and it is actually starting to make more and more sense from the angle in which it's trying to be played. Now, Tucker Carlson said, if she stays in, it's going to be because the establishment wants her to be the plan B if Trump, for some reason, is not able to be the nominee. Here is his take. The plan works like this. Ron DeSantis drops out after losing a few contests in a row. He simply runs out of money and has to head back to Florida. And at that point, liberal donors swing as a block behind Nikki Haley, giving her bottomless resources. That's already happening right now. And then critically, Donald Trump goes to jail. And at that point, bam, Nikki Haley wins the Republican nomination by default. Now, it's not a foolproof plan. A lot could go wrong. But at this point, it's the only plan. It's all that Democrats have. 
Joe Biden is going to have a very hard time getting reelected, much less serving another term. Yet the party cannot replace him because that would leave Kamala Harris, who is even more unpopular than he is. So their only option at this point is to run a Republican who has the same views as Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And that is exactly what they're doing right now, no matter what they tell you. And that candidate's name is Nikki Haley. Now, of course, they are trying to take him out with all of the lawsuits and all of the fanfare and regalia that they're doing through the legal system. Of course, that's all optics, but they are trying to make him guilty in the court of public opinion. And there's also the other extreme possibility, which I don't want to rehash on here. It was the whole Alex Soros tweet from the previous episode. You can go back and listen to it, but they could very well be setting up Nikki Haley to be the nominee if for whatever reason Trump isn't able to be the nominee. And I think if she's in there after South Carolina, because South Carolina is her home state. Now, that's not going to be for another month or so until the South Carolina primary. But if she stays in until that point, or especially if she's in there after South Carolina, I guarantee you she is the designated Plan B and will probably be in this primary until the very end. So there you have it. You can judge that how you will, but that looks that looks like that could be very well the thing that they're trying to do here. All right, shifting gears back once again, we're going to go ahead and cover this week's current Trump thing. All right, for this week's current Trump thing, I actually had to completely redo the entire segment. I was originally going to be talking about the real estate angle up in New York, but then the E. Jean Carroll decision was handed down, so I had to go back and redo it, change it to that. So if you haven't heard, Trump has been uh, found guilty in a defamation suit, and the judge up there, Judge Kaplan, has stated that Trump has to pay E. Jean Carroll, I believe it's $83.3 million for defamation. Now, if you're not familiar with the case, E. Jean Carroll alleges that Trump raped her sometime in the mid-90s. She can't remember the day, the month, the hour, the year, really nothing about it. And then she actually went on Anderson Cooper recently and said that the rape wasn't sexual in nature at all. How do you explain that one? So there was no actual conviction of a crime of rape against Donald Trump. For one, we're already well past the statute of limitations, but I believe E. Jean Carroll was working to have the statute of limitations completely nullified in the state of New York. And so so what is Trump guilty of here? So I mean he's claim he claims he's never even met this woman. He says that he's innocent and he says that she's lying with these allegations. And so the court has found that Trump defamed E. Jean Carroll by simply claiming his innocence. He's saying that she's lying. He's saying he's never met this woman. But they're saying, okay, well, you've defamed this woman by claiming your innocence and saying that she's lying. So you owe her $83.3 million. I, I mean, it's just... How, <laughs> banana Republic, ladies and gentlemen, we live in a banana Republic. You are guilty until proven innocent. And I guess they didn't prove him innocent. See, not just Trump, but to me, to me, who really suffers with this decision are actual rape victims. People who have actually gone through this horrific experience. And I have heard you don't re- you don't forget anything about that. You remember every little episode, where you were, what was going on, and you never, 
ever forget it. It is seared into your conscience. This lady can't remember the minute, the hour, the day, the month, the year, anything about it. She just remembers that it happened. And the fact that Trump had the audacity to proclaim his innocence and that he's never met this woman, that's defamation. And you owe her $83.3 million. Absolutely unbelievable. It doesn't surprise me in the slightest. And I mean, this this Judge Kaplan, oh my goodness. This, this is, I looked into this guy. This is the same judge who oversaw the uh, Prince Andrew versus, uh, what's her name, Virginia Guthrie case. And what was awarded to Virginia? Oh, it was settled outside of court. Big shocker there, right? And then Trump's attorney, his defense attorney, tried to submit evidence. There was a gag order. There, there was absolutely no defense that was permitted in this court. There was a gag order the entire time. And Trump's defense attorney wanted to submit something from the record. And the judge told her, you be quiet or you're going to be hauled off to jail. I, I, how, is, how is this the American judicial system? That's what I want to ask. I mean, this is some third world country sick, twisted crap going on here. But again, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. So that is this week's current Trump thing. I can only imagine what the weeks ahead will present. Now, the following segment is a soundbite from Washington Post's Taylor Lorenz. This is a young lady who is expressing her dissatisfaction with the Los Angeles Times laying off 115 people from their workforce. And she's explaining that it's not just the LA Times, but all kinds of publications across the country that are cutting back, that are having to lay off people, and she just doesn't understand why this is taking place. So if you can hold on for about the next 90 seconds to listen to Taylor Lorenz, we're going to get her take on why this is taking place journalism industry is basically in a free fall. Today, the Los Angeles Times laid off 115 employees. They wiped out their entire D.C. bureau in an election year. They laid off pretty much all of their sports teams. They killed their entire tech and business section. They laid off breaking news writers, social media editors. The list goes on. But what's really dark is this is just the latest in months and months and months of layoffs in the media industry. In fact, tens of thousands of journalists have been laid off in the past year. Major media companies Companies like BuzzFeed News have completely shuttered their news operations. Time Magazine also just laid off a ton of people. And, oh, Sports Illustrated basically shut down last week. Pretty much the entire digital media ecosystem that myself and a lot of other millennial journalists came up in has been completely hollowed out. And it's not just digital media sites. Local news has been obliterated. The newspaper industry is cratering. Radio is essentially dead, aside from NPR, which has been gutted. Meanwhile, hundreds of workers at Condé Nast, the parent company of pretty much every major magazine from GQ to Vogue to The New Yorker to Vanity Fair are on strike because they're also facing impending layoffs. Even mainstream national media outlets owned by billionaires like The Washington Post, where I work, and The Atlantic, where I used to work, have done layoffs. If you're a young journalist today, there's almost no on-ramp to traditional journalism. Even if you do get a job, journalists' salaries have been stagnant and even declined. And by the way, we don't make that much to begin with. I don't think people understand how bad the world would be without journalists. Do you think, Taylor, have you considered the possibility that the American people are tired of the BS and now are starting to see through the propaganda and the noise and the circusry? What has happened to journalism? What's happened? It's a dying breed. How about telling the truth? 
How about employing common sense? How about just shooting straight with people for starters? Perhaps people would want to tune in and read the media which you are pushing. But as long as you keep going long-winded with the garbage and the BS, you will continue to lose your following. All right, here's just a couple of sound bikes from Sleepy Joe over the past week or so. These are really starting to raise some eyebrows because they're just getting worse and worse and worse. I think they've got to have an applause sign out with the audiences that are watching him because absolutely none of this is decipherable at all. So they must just illuminate an applause sign to tell people when to clap and laugh and all of the above because I honestly cannot tell a single thing this man is saying. Take a listen. Beer brewed here. <laughs> it is used to make the brew beer. <laughs> oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lake. Teach Donald Trump a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. There is your resident-in-chief, ladies and gentlemen, Resident Joseph R. Biden. And I've said it before, and I think this just goes uh, as further proof. He's just the straw man, ladies and gentlemen. They are showing you this in plain sight to set up the narrative for Big Mike. It looks more and more like it's going to be Big Mike come November. All right, that's going to do it for episode 21 of Clown World Matrix. My name is Gabriel as always, I thank you for tuning in. My goodness, we're already done with the first month of 2024, and we've got 11 to go. And what will be next in this wild roller coaster of a year? No doubt. Just be aware of everything, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to get bumpy and interesting. But as long as we keep waking people up to this clownery that's going on, the better we shall be. So again, I thank you. Please share this podcast with a friend if you feel they could benefit from it. I want to thank my sponsors. I don't do that enough. Uh, you do have the opportunity to now sponsor Clown World Matrix. Just go to the podcast description, click on support the show, and you can chip in a couple bucks per month if you feel led to do so. Certainly appreciate it. But thank you for the existing sponsors out there. You know who you are. So thank you once again. Episode 21 of Clown World Matrix is in the bag. Hope you have a great week ahead, and I will talk to you soon. Take care.